Lord, we bless your name. We thank you, Lord, for what you will do this evening. We thank you, Lord, because Jesus will be glorified. Bless your people. Heal somebody this evening. Give your people direction. Encourage your church and glorify Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Let's quickly, we'll, t- we'll see that in a uh, moment. But before that, let's take our declaration. Are we ready? Okay, let's take that declaration. One, two, let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I said amen. amen. The word of healing is coming to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. The word of healing is coming to you today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of healing is coming expressly this evening in the name of Jesus. Amen. No matter where you are watching this from, in the realm of the spirit there is no distance. Some of us are here physically speaking. Some people are joining us remotely from different parts of Enugu, Nigeria, Africa, the rest of the world. Through social media, whether it's Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, or Mixellar, wherever you are joining us from, or you are playing this message afterwards. Just like there's no physical distance in the spirit, there's no time distance also. You can be listening to this a hundred years after. The word of healing is still going to come to you. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Elisha died, we don't know how long, but for the bones to be exposed, must have been a while. But there was a tangible quantity of the anointing still remaining. This may be shared from one hardest to another. Jesus said the letter doesn't profit anything. It is the spirit that gives life. That any time the word is coming, he said the spirit rides over or rides on those words. He said the words that I speak, they carry a spiritual substance and it will impart life into any place where it will be received. And that life is what I'm commanding again this evening. Receive it in the name of Jesus. Amen. The blind will see in the name of Jesus. Amen. The lame will walk in the name of Jesus. Amen. The dead will be raised in the name of Jesus. Amen. Wombs will open in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Prosperity will come in the name of Jesus. Amen. Diabetes will disappear in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, kidneys that were shut down, receiving dialysis twice a week to keep alive. They will begin to recover in the name of Jesus. Amen. Cancer that doctors have given up on will begin to melt in the name of Jesus. Amen. Remember, we pay something, no? We have to give God something, right? Yes, sir. What do we give? Attention. What do we give? Attention. Say it again. Attention. Please say it loud. Attention. Let's give attention. That is a payment for what we are talking about. Attention. Don't multitask. You understand my point? Now let me do it. I'm not, I'm not saying it's wrong. If you want to wash your car and then you want to listen to the word, it's good. If you want to be cooking and you want the word playing in the background, it is good. If you want to go jogging, you want to go walking, and then you want to put headphones over your head to listen to the word, it is good. You are using every opportunity to hear the word. 
But if you want to hear the word, don't do any other thing. I don't know whether you are catching what I'm trying to say. There's a way in which I want to jog. So I put headphones. So that the one hour I spend jogging, I get some word. Do you understand? It is good. Alright? I want to cook. While I'm cooking, let me use the opportunity to hear something also. It is good. Now, there's nothing wrong with cooking. There's nothing wrong with washing clothes. Alright? I mean, Christmas time, my wife and I are alone in the house. I have to wash my car myself. So, there's this Bluetooth speaker that Pastor Murphy gave me that time. I put in the compound and be playing. The whole compound is filled with somebody preaching. It's good, but I came to wash my car. I hope you're getting my point. The aim was to wash the car, not to listen to the message. So it's an added thing that the word is playing. Now, what I'm instructing you against now, when the primary thing to hear the word, don't multitask at such times. Don't say, I want to listen to this message. While I'm listening to it, let me just be washing. Eh, that's what I'm saying don't do. If I want to wash, but let me listen to the message, fine. It's good. It's a good, I do that. It's an added thing. You want to iron. You have a, a bale of clothes to iron. So you want to fill the time with the word. It's good. But if it is, I want to hear the word. Don't say, let me cuckoo be ironing. I want to hear the word. Let me use the opportunity to wash my car. I want to hear the word. Oh, I'm supposed to boil beans. Let me just go and be boiling the beans while the word is playing. That's the one I'm saying you must not do. When it's time to hear the word, do everything you need to do to stay awake. If you have to stand, fine. There's one I used to do those days. I, I fall asleep. I know I will fall asleep. There's no problem. But after the sleep has happened for like 15 minutes, I will wake up. Then I won't fall asleep again. That's a trick. If you have to go and drink a cup of coffee, do it. If you have to be pacing up and down while the word is playing, do it. Do whatever you need to do to pay attention. I hope you're getting my point. Put off your phone so nobody can call you for the next, you know, not like if your phone is not off by now, you know the phone wants to die. Check your phone, check your phone. Check it, you. Check it, you. <laughs> All right? Okay? So it's not that I'm talking about. I'm talking about later. Okay? Sometimes you want to hear the word and it's your phone you are using. Put it on flight mode for the one and the other hours. Nobody should call you. Nobody should disturb you. Who comes to somebody who's in the, inside the doctor's clinic? Will anybody call you that time? No, now. You are, you are being attended to. If you are in theater and they gas your face and you are falling asleep, will you be taking your calls? Once you are taking your calls, you are not sick yet. I hope you are getting my point. Remember the, the, the man you said that they called once. He said, where you? They said, at the hospital. It was in the Bible school, so everybody around, it was like a break. They heard him stay on the phone, I'm in hospital. So he said, ah, man of God, you're telling lies. He knew what they were thinking. When he hung up, he said, you well, now you did here. <laughs> he asked everybody else. He said, if you were well, what are you doing here? We are all sick. We came for treatment. Those days when I was serving, I used to do play a trick like that. Because, you know, we're guys now, guys, guys. So I, I was in the bar, I was in sergeant's quarters. And my guys just throw my door open anytime and interrupt my Bible study. Ha. So you know what I did? As I studied on my knees. Did you get the trick? When it's time to read the Bible, I kneel down. Because they never interrupt when you are praying. But if you are lying down and you are reading, or you are sitting and you are reading, they believe that, ah, banky, what did they happen? They will, they will sit down and begin Jesus. You don't know how to drive them away. 
So I said, what do I do? No, wahala. See me talking with God, talking to God, listening to God, na, na communication. It's a spiritual matter. So when it's time to study my Bible, I get on my knees, I put it down, I'll be reading. So when they throw the door open, they look, they close it and go. <laughs> they say, he's praying. Amen? Is that not prayer? Yeah, it has a more important prayer to be hearing from God. What am I trying to say? You pay attention. Tell your neighbor, please pay attention. It's for your own good. Pay attention. It's a cost. I need to explain that. It's a cost. You will lose a business. So, yeah, it happens. It happens. And don't worry about it. The business that's your own will come back. See, that was when they were just giving out the appointment letter. I missed my own. God didn't want you to take the job. It's not your time. People now behave as if these phones are not on. They will die. My wife left her phone at home today. I, I was thinking to myself, okay, what will now happen to you now? From 7 in the morning, she's just receiving the phone now. And it has to be off because it's Bible study. She's listening to this now. In my mind, I did her. Not a cotton. You know, go die. There are times I'm leaving my home. I drive, as I drive out of the house, I let my phone is inside. I said, stay there. Stay there. There was a time my phone it had a problem, so I returned it to the people for repairs. And because of the SIM card that I was using, this nano SIM, the alternative phone I had, it being micro SIM, I didn't have the adapter. So for about three days, my normal numbers were off. I just felt good. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Don't call me for three days. Leave me alone. <laughs> the Lord is good. What am I saying? Pay attention. Tell your neighbor, pay attention. Pay attention. The power is flowing. The power is flowing. Say, tell your neighbor, pay attention. Pay attention. For, the for the power is flowing. Tell somebody else, pay attention. Pay attention. Don't interrupt the flow. Is there time for a miracle? Amen. The Lord is good. Let's take our seats quickly. Let's take our seats. Wherever you are listening to me from, please, that word was for you. Pay attention. God wants to do something in your life. For some people, God will be healing diseases they did not even know they had. Seriously. They wouldn't even know they were sick. But God said, let me take it away now. If he said, if your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. That's what it means. Pay attention. Focus. 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 That's what he's saying. Focus. Don't be distracted. The temptation for distraction, they are strong. There are always temptations for distraction. Somebody will give you, they will let you understand that you might lose out on this. So they may be looking for you. Go and read Demo, uh, Demo Shakarian's book, Happiest People on Earth. Go and read that book. You know what? I recommend it all the time. There was a time he had a losing business. Business that was losing money so much, he could wipe him out. Then he prayed. Let me make a long story short. And the Lord revealed to him that he had to sell off the business. That that was not the business he sent him to do. Please, Lord, give me a good price. He asked. So the Lord essentially said, no problem. He didn't hear the no problem. He just made his request and he left. Then he went to, he was doing a crusade. That's his ministry of helps. He will go to another city, organize a program in conjunction with the pastors there. He will do a lot of the sponsoring, but he helps them with his skill, his anointing, to pull things together. So while he was there, a man began to call him. Come, let's negotiate so I can buy your business. He was losing money on a daily basis. It's not 
year-end check is daily. He was losing money. Daily. So his father called him and said, so so and so person is calling. He needs to talk to you so he can buy that business. And he said, tell him I'll be back maybe in two weeks. Ah. The man said, I don't get it. You are losing money daily. I want to buy the business off you. And he said, I have to be about the father's business first. He said, I've made my commitment to the Lord. This is the primary thing in my life. You have to wait. The man couldn't get it. Which kind of crazy human being is this? Maybe some of us, what do we do? Say, the Lord will understand. You know what we'll now do? We'll let him understand that beyond our tithes, value-added tithes belongs to the Lord. Capital gains tight belongs to the Lord. All kinds of appreciation tight belongs to him. So we expect God to be impressed. You know, if I make that money, I know how much I will give God. You know, we want to entice him. Can you even entice Dangote with that? Think about it. Can you entice Dangote with that one? How much more God? Many of us, we don't understand obedience is so important to God. He's giving it to us. Obedience is better than what? To sacrifice. It's better. It's more important. The man says, forget it, I'm not coming. That man couldn't believe it. The man concluded his crusades, packed up, then came back and said, hey, where were we? Let me make a long story short. That man was more eager to buy the business than he was to sell. Do you know why? The Lord did not let him sleep. Every night, the Lord would minister to him. Have you bought the business I told you to buy from my servant? Say, but your servant is not available. <laughs> when he finally came, they negotiated and negotiated. Initially, they didn't, of course, they couldn't agree. After a while, he agreed to what Demos and his father were saying and told them, please, I need to conclude this so I can sleep finally. I pray we will trust God. I say it all the time blessings are commanded, they are not games of chance. There are not things that come to you because you happen to be in the place of opportunity at the right time. Not necessarily. David was not around. His blessing waited. Don't stop behaving like a, like a statistical figure. You know? Like a die being cast without direction. You cannot behave as if you're an ordinary statistical figure. That if you're just available, the thing will come. It has your name on it. This is how I like to illustrate it. Assuming I traveled somewhere and I told my wife, I'll be staying in so and so and so hotel. Maybe let's even assume I gave her a wrong number. And I said, please, I'll be in room. So when I get there, I call her and say, I'm in room 104. Let us assume she gets to room 104. And she doesn't want me to know the day she's arrived. Maybe she agrees with somebody. Let's pay him a surprise. She knocks on the door. Maybe I'm in 204. I didn't know when I said 104. And then one... Very handsome, very, you know, rich guy opens the door. What's the first thing she'll do? She'll look back, excuse me, wrong number. <laughs> and she'll now go back and say, please, receptionist, I think there's something wrong here. She won't say, well, husband, her husband. <laughs> Will she say so? She has my name. Say, whose likeness and whose inscription are these? Give to what? Caesar, what belongs to Caesar? Because they told him, this is Caesar's likeness and inscription. In the same manner, give to the, um, the husband, the wife that belongs to him. She has my name. Because I gave her a wrong room number, doesn't mean she will enter. 
When she opens the door, it looks, eh? Excuse me, I think there's a problem. Or are you visiting the, the occupant of this room? Say, no, I'm the guest here. Say, I'm so sorry, sir. She will turn around again and say, the surprise, I wanted to surprise this man has called. You will call. What's your room number? I did, I did reception right now. I said 204. You said 104. I said 204. You were not listening. You were not saying it. Whatever. You are here now. 204. Okay, wait there. I am coming to collect you by myself. I don't want to fall down by mistake on this staircase. You know why? She has my name. That's how blessings are. They are commanded. He told um, Samuel, take, fill your horn with oil and go to the house of Jesse. And there you will anoint for me a king. They got there. They lined up all the boys. Eliab came. You know, Abinadab came. Shammai came. And that's how they were moving one after the other until the last son finished. Someone said, wait, I heard God right. None of them is the right one. God said I should come to this house. No. He called Jesse. Excuse me, I'm having a problem here. I said, bring all your sons. He said, I brought them. He said, is a king you want to anoint? He said, yes. These are the sons. These are the king materials. Didn't you see um, Eliab? I told the boy to flex his muscle when he comes in. Didn't you see the flexing? He said, I saw it. But the Lord said I shouldn't look at the muscle. I should look at the marrow. <laughs> I should look at the heart. Now, this is my suspicion. I won't say conviction, even though I believe it to an extent. They did not exclude David. Only because he was young. They excluded David because he was not of the same mother. He was a kind of Solomonic, you know, you know, birth. One woman that they told to go and give Jesse Opa. Jesse told her to sit down that the Opa is too hot, he will eat it later. Are you getting my point? She sat there until it got dark. Jesse. Jesse, what is your problem? The sons did not forgive him. So David was ostracized. He was not one of the real sons of the house as far as they were concerned. That's my conviction. You must understand how the Bible writes. Because when the Bible talks sometimes, when it says that in sin did my mother conceive me. It wasn't, people say it's Adamic sin. That's not what they were talking about. Something else was wrong. Something else was wrong. Something else was wrong. And that's why they left the boy aside. So Samuel said, "Ah, uh-huh. so these are all your sons." Jesus said, "Oh God, why are you bringing up this matter? We have settled in the family. These are my sons." Jesus said, "You are sure there's no other one?" He said, "Oh God, leave this matter now. Off the mic. Off the mic." <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> They were shouting somewhere. They said, no, I must say what I want to say. I must say what I want to say. Finally, said, so he remains the youngest. And Boga, he's not near here. Let these boys go again. Maybe your anointing will warm up. So there's another one. There's another one. Jesse, you want my anointing or you want my annoyance? There's another one. And you're making me doubt my prophetic calling. There's another one. Why didn't you bring him? He says, sir. He's there with the sheep. These are the warriors. He has never been to battle. He said you want the king. He says, send for him. Nobody's settling down until he shows up. You know why? Because blessings are commanded. Blessings are commanded. 
When I say pastors fight over members, I, if you're a pastor, eh, it's one of the most foolish things you can do. Fight over members. Why should you fight over members? You don't know members are responsibilities. You know, your problem is that you are thinking of them as, you know, cow to milk. If you realize that it's extra responsibility, when they say God is calling us to go to the other church, he said, please, you have transport money. Take to go there quickly because it's less work for me. But when you are calculating his tithe and his January, what's wrong with that funny, funny doctrine with first fruits? Very funny doctrine. You know, we just invent things. When we think of it, that's how you start fighting over members. Why were you visiting that, that, that my member? Ah, I should, you are visiting my flock, bros. I can't visit again. So we're no longer brethren because she goes to your church or he goes to your church. Do you know pastors behave like that? I've heard of pastors giving each other blue. If I can get to the story, let me not talk the lock. I've heard local ones. Fight because I saw you visiting my member. Can I hear you say stop wanting to greet one pastor who took over the church that he used to pastor? So he stopped and said, bros, how now? Bro, grabbed him by the neck. By the shirt, you know? The shirt neck. They're jacking him like this. You've been coming to town to collect tithes and offerings. Can I just say you put hand on the chair to collect hammer? As they pull the shirt, his hand was already on one hammer under the chair like jack. <laughs> he collected the jack. He was going to whack the guy over the head. Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> he said, do you know why he didn't? Because of newspaper. He said in his mind, he just saw the newspaper report. Full gospel pastor walks another over the head. <laughs> over membership. Ah! He, that's when he dropped the jackal. He now turned to that one and said, Sir, I didn't do anything like that too. He said, No, he started begging him. That one was frustrated. So he was taking his frustration out of anybody. When I say pastors fighting over members, so to me it's surprising. Why should you fight over what? John said a man can receive nothing except it is given to him from above. Anything you want in life, children of God, ask God for it. Blessings are commanded. I wanted to emphasize that. The reason you did not get the job is not because the other fellow came. It's because it's his own. And if you didn't get it, it does not make it mean you will get it. Your own, you will get it when the time comes. When the place is ripe. We are not statistical figures. God, apart from knowing us personally, he numbers the hair, the strands of hair on our heads. That's how detailed he is concerning his knowledge of each one of us. David said, if I think of all the thoughts you have for me, I'm overwhelmed. He said, God has so much thought about us that thinking about it is overwhelming. The Lord is good. That's why we need to relax. That's how, that's how I'm going to emphasize don't say I must keep my phone on all the time. When it's time to sleep, put off your phone. I keep on saying that. If they have the habit of waking you up at all times, start putting the phone off. Don't keep yourself awake because you never know. You never know. The Lord is good, though. So, that's talking about attention. Why it's so important for believers to learn how to focus. Now, um, what I'm doing again today, just like last time, is to give a short word of exhortation, even if it is long, but we'll still call it a short word of exhortation. The Lord is good. 
And what I have in mind, let me try and put um, some order to it. I don't have a title, but let me just give a sentence. I want to teach us today on how to live according to the book. Living according to the book. Living according to the book. That's what I want to teach about. Now, there's something in my house, my children and I, and all, my wife and I will teach them. We have a list of things we have listed as the reasons why we study the word of God. And I want to pick from one of those things and amplify for us all to um, bear in mind. Okay, or no, I want us, I'll list all of them. Then this particular one I will amplify for the message of today. Why do we study the word of God? As of now, we have seven reasons which we have put together in our home on why we must study God's word. I'll just read them out to you. Uh, not in any particular order of importance, just listing them. Number one, we say it is to have the general knowledge of God. Number two, of course, that's very important. Have the general knowledge. Who made the heavens and the earth? I hope you're getting my point. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. Know his, they just have general knowledge about him. He called Abraham. He called Isaac. He called Jacob. He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. I hope you're getting my point. Yeah, just having a general knowledge about God. So you can speak confidently about your faith. Very important. Number two of the reasons why we study the word of God is to know the person of the Lord Jesus and his work for us on the cross. Very, very crucial for us as believers. To know the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. Remember, Paul said there is something lacking and I'm doing in my flesh that which is lacking in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And what did he mean by that? He was saying that if Jesus did something for you, for people, and they don't know about it, then it's as good as if he didn't do it in that person's life. So my job as an apostle, my calling for apostleship, is to make people aware, to say to the cities of Zion, behold your God. So that's why, that's number two. One, the second reason why we study God's word is to be aware of who Jesus is and what he did for us through the sacrifice on the cross and what is the consequence of resurrection in our lives. That is another reason why we study the word of God. And then number three, to have instructions in right living. I said to us earlier, I'm just giving the list. There's no particular order, all right, of importance. Number three, to have instructions in right living. We need to know how to do things. On just weights, God doesn't love them. We need to know that. Husbands or wives, be submissive to your own husband. And husband, love your wife. It's instruction in right living. Don't worry about tomorrow. You understand? It's an instruction in right living. Okay? Say to our keepers, take heed to the ministry you have received of the Lord to fulfill it. Diligence is an instruction in right living. Love your neighbor as yourself. All these things, we have to know them. If you don't know them, we will not be able to connect the circuits that allows the power of God to flow into our lives. Number three, that's number three, right? Number four, we say to learn words to use in prayer. That's very important. And that's the one we just added of the seven. To learn words to use in prayer. It's very important. The Bible says, take with you words. It says, guard your steps when you draw near to the temple of God. 
draw near to what? Draw near to what? Listen. Than to offer what? The sacrifice of fools. If you don't have the right words, you may often be offering the sacrifices of fools. So that's one thing we do. We approach, the, you know, we study the scriptures, so we have the right words to approach God with. Number, f- that's number what? That's number what? Number five. To know God's plan for our lives. Now I'm going to come back to this, which is the reason why actually I decided to, to um, read this list to us. I want to amplify that number five. So I'll come back to it. Number six, to know the promises of God for every situation. Very important. It's an extension of what Jesus did for us on the cross. To know the promises of God for every situation. He said, my people perish for what? For lack of knowledge. Many times people are suffering because they are tolerating what God does not want them to tolerate. I hope you're getting my point. Sometimes I hear people talk. They are sick. They say, you know, it's my age. Anytime I hear it, I feel bad. I feel bad. I call those things excuses for Satan. Can somebody fall sick? Yes. But don't accept it. Even if, look, if I'm ill for 10 years, in the 11th year, you ask me, I'll still tell you it is not the will of God. I won't let 10 years make me assume it is normal. I don't care how many old people are sick around me. It is not the plan of God to be ill, no sickly in old age. The plan of God for old age is that, you can read that in Psalm 92, that you'll be full of sap. That's, you know, like a green stick. You'll be full of sap. Fresh. Moses was 120 years old. His eyes did not become dim. His strength did not abate. Caleb was 85. He didn't say, boys, go after the giants. I'm coming. You know my age. Sickness not sickness, no matter the age. If your back is paining you, it is called back pain. It's not old age disease. I hope you're getting my point. If your eyes are not seeing well, your eyes are not seeing well. Stop giving excuses for Satan. And the only way you will not give excuse to Satan or for Satan's affliction is when you know what God says. So I talk about that old age one as an example. What changed my mind about it is simply because I read the scriptures also. I read that Psalm 92. I read the testimony of Caleb. I read the testimony of Moses. So it becomes something I fight for. I'm not saying because of my experience, that's how it is. Is what I read. Having read the scriptures, I now know what to believe God for. He said, this is your word in which you have caused me to hope. Now when he speaks like that, he's saying that that word, which is promise, David was talking about, that word has not yet come to pass in my life. That's why it's a hope. But first of all, he gives me what? The word. And causes me to what? To hope because of that word. So he says to Abraham, Paul was commenting about it in Romans chapter 4. Spoke concerning Abraham. In hope, against hope, he believed. What brings forth hope is knowledge of God's promises. When you have knowledge of God's promises, it brings forth hope. Federal government will tell you at the age of 60, or after you have worked for 25 or 30 years, you should retire. That's federal government. That's federal government. 
If you are serving God, never believe it. You change your profession at each point in time. You change where you are of service, where you work. That's what you change at each point in time. You don't just assume, you understand, that because I'm 65 now, I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be tired. For goodness sake, you know, Nigerians were very funny. Not Nigerians, human beings, we like to abuse ourselves. The grass is always going on the other side. I saw, uh, my, is it, is, is it Mohammed, um, what's the name of this guy that does African leadership something that gives prize to people? Anyway, Mo Ibrahim or something. All right. One day I saw him on TV. He was talking about, um, he was talking about African leaders being old. He said they are leading us, leading us. He said, is it to the grave? I felt like I said, bro, Mo, stop saying these things. Age is not the reason why somebody cannot be president. Last election, four years ago, the oldest man to ever take office in America took office, Donald Trump. It was what? 70 or 71. How old was it that time? Now he's 74 anyway. Then he contested against who? Joe Biden, who is two years older than him. And that one is going to take office. Office being equal. In January, he'll be heading for like 76 or 77 that time. Old age didn't stop those men from becoming president. Then the same people will say you should retire. Does it make sense? <laughs> well, they are trying to make sure the jobs go around to everybody. Don't believe them. Know the promises for old age. I hope you're getting my point. You can be fruitful in old age. If I let me say to you, you will be fruitful in old age. Amen. Let me pray a prayer for you. At the age of 80, you will look back and you will not be able to tell the difference between your strength now and your strength 30 years before. Amen. At the age of 50, you will be competing with guys who are 20 years younger than you. Amen. You will maintain your strength for decades in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me just say something to you again. I've seen old men jog. I saw a man at the age of 90 running up the hill in front of his house. I saw a man at the age of 78 or 80-something retiring from marathon. I think it was 80-something. And he started running half marathon at the age of 75 to fight depression. And he was not a Christian. He was a Sikh, an Indian. Let nobody... So the prayer I prayed, and I don't think that... Ha, we believe God for something that the world has not seen before. We can believe God for something the world has not seen before. Amen? But this one, they have seen it plenty. The whole world has seen it plenty. Then this is Joe Biden. When they, when they announced that he, won, he has won, he jogged out of where he was. I said, bro, slow down. Coronavirus is still there. <laughs> I'm just joking, all right? But for goodness sake, old age is not a disease. Let's continue. That's not what I'm preaching now. But we know this from God's promises. So we started the scriptures to know the promise of God for every situation. What the promise of God does is to generate expectation for you. It gives you hope. And you start walking towards that and praying and demanding in quotes of the Lord. Lord, you promised this. Uh-uh. Lord, there's one, you, there's one expression in Yoruba I like. I don't know what is it in English. Who speaks Yoruba here? Wave your hand. Chima, not you. I mean real Yoruba, not these boys who stay in uh, Mafuluku for two years. They say they are speaking Yoruba. <laughs> Anybody? Okay, what about, eh? Oh! You speak Yoruba, serious one. Who's your, who's your, your father or your mother? 
Your mom, okay, all right, okay. So if your mother is your wife, father will have taught you why she why you were breastfeeding. It's good. You know, your Obama will say Anja Yolua. How do you, how can I say it in English? No, no. You see, see the problem now. With this, this half bred people, half Igbo, half Yoruba, we don't know. You say, <laughs> give me the real one, Elder John. <laughs> That's more like it. Even though it's more accurate, but it's closer. That is with the with the chop life, with just the chop on God's neck. Are you getting my point? Okay, in this how it is. Assuming now that I'm a very rich man, you are in my house, you are staying there for like two days, and then so your friend now comes to visit you. Ah, now the guy is the whole talkie in front of you. Beside that, he sees all kinds of juice, he sees food every type, and there's a driver outside waiting to carry you everywhere. He now says, ah, oh boy, what's going on? He said, I did chop a year, Pastor Bank. Do you get my point? That that's what we mean, that I'm chopping on his neck, no be me. Do you follow the point? And that's how we say it. So we say that, I'm Jayolua Data. Now God reaches with a chop, not be us. That's one way I pray, seriously. Like, Baba God, who will chop your thing now? Waiting. Okay, if you don't give us, who will chop up? Where would they eat? Is it in Jagebre? <laughs> Are you getting my voice? It's been chopping it for a long time. That's how it is. So it doesn't mean that we experience it. We just look and say, Ah, Baba God. I mean, there was a time this man, I heard his testimony. After laboring for years, he could hardly see John Gillick. His eyes became very dim. So he got up and went for a stroll. And he came back and he was seeing clearly. He said, let me talk to the Lord about it. And he began to have a conversation with God. What's going on here? I don't see well again. We don't know the details of what he said. But after he went on that walk, people came, after that, people noticed that the man began to see clearly. He just said, Lord, ah, wait, touch these eyes. What's going on? Like I see all the time here. You lie down and say, Lord, touch this side. Touch on here. This was where the doctor said the thing is. You remove the shirt. Say, touch it here. Let me lie down properly. That more will chop for your neck. Eh? You are our God. You are rich. Why should we be poor? If we don't experience it today, we'll continue disturbing him in court. That, that's what his promises do. That's what the promises do. They create hope for us. They create expectation. So we go to prayer on that basis. Sometimes it takes time. Because what, one of the things he does is that he starts showing you Make this adjustment here. Make this adjustment here. Say, Lord, my BP is too high. Doctor says, hey, I'm taking medicine. I don't want to be taking medicine. God says, all right, I agree with you. Come, let's read the Bible. It is vain to rise up early and go to bed late. Say, adjust that. Let's discuss when you should be going to bed. Then you adjust that. There's a lady I met when I went to preach somewhere in Lagos. I finished preaching like this. She came to me and said, Pastor, this is you have said. That's my personal experience. That my family, said my father, my mother, we have five children. All of them, my father, my mother, and four siblings are on antihypertensive drugs. So if it's family, you know, like we say in medicine, fam, you know, family history. If it's that one, I have it. That's what she was saying. So well, I'm the only one that doesn't take it. And my blood pressure is normal. She checks it periodically. That anytime she sees that her blood pressure has gone up, she goes to pray. She gets on her knees and says to the Lord, what's going on? And she will pray. And she starts checking her heart. What am I worried about? What's keeping me awake? And she'll go over that for days. And then the blood pressure will go down. She said to me that day, I am the only person in a family of seven 
that's not taking any drug for high blood pressure. And she was not the youngest in the family. She's not the youngest. And the time I was speaking with her, she was not a small girl. I mean, say mother. I can't remember her age. So let me quote. But least she would be in her late 40s if she was too young. And she said, this is what I have done consistently. Let's not sit on that. So, we study God's word to know his promises for all the situations of our lives. We study God's word so that we know this is exactly what he has spoken. And what he has said is what creates expectation for us. That expectation we take to him in prayer. That expectation forms our prayer point. And we start walking towards it both through confession of faith Confession of the word and correction in our lives. Many of the things that are not flowing in our lives is because we have done things that we are, we made a habit of things that are not right. And God will not bless disobedience. What He gives to disobedient children is correction. What He gives to disobedient children is what? Correction. It's the first sign of His blessing. Correction. So I said I'm going to come back to number five, right? Then number seven. To know the accounts of the works of God. It's an amplification of number one, the general knowledge of God. We also want to know the accounts of the work of God. I've spoken about, I think I explained those two together. That's number one, general knowledge, and this one now. That is when we have to praise God. What are we doing? We are giving an account of what he has done. All right, so let's get back to number five. I just want to rush through that briefly. Like I said, we're just doing some exhortation. Now, our discussion this evening is living... Oh, that's it. Living according to the book, right? Uh, Living according to the book. So, let me go back to number five. To know God's plan for our lives. God has... Now, I've stopped reading my list. I want to just amplify that. As a matter of fact, God has a plan for the life of every one of his children. Every single one of God's children he has a plan for. He has a general plan for everybody. I mean, if you're a child of God, for example, go into all the world and praise the gospel, that is it. You know, this is the will of God concerning you, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that you don't defraud everybody falls in that category. I hope you're getting my point. He has general plans for everybody. But he has specific plans for each individual. Now, let me emphasize this to us again. It is important. It is crucial. We are going to be judged on it that we walk according to the specific plan he has for our lives. It is crucial, it is important that we realize that. That we must walk according to the specific plan that he has for our lives, and he has for each person. And that plan is written in our individual books. Let's read this, Psalm 139. Let's start with that. Now, actually... What I had in mind today is to amplify something along the, that's in this light. That when you are reading your scriptures, you know, I said that these are the reasons we read the word of God. I want this person to not narrow it now. When you are reading your Bible, alright, one of the things God will do for you, because these things were recorded for our learning. There is nobody on this earth, that's my conviction, that if you take the scriptures, God has not written something about you inside. I hope you're getting my point. Let me give you an example. When I'm praying sometimes, I have this long prayer that I wrote out. Nothing wrong with writing prayers. I, have a, I don't have a prayer book, but I have prayer instructions for certain circumstances. For example, now let us assume I want to pray for you as a person. I don't just, I go and write out your prayer. I hope you're getting my point. If I, like now, if you're starting a business, I'll give you as an advice, kind of thing. That's what my wife and I do. You sit down, meditate, check God's promises, all right? And write down a prayer based upon understanding. And this time I want to pray about that subject, that's what I bring up. 
Don't think, you think I'm just going to be thinking, I'm be speaking in tongues. I speak in tongues. I speak off, you know, just without thinking ahead in English. But fundamentally, I've learned this over the last few years. I will, you see, we used to think that, uh, 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 the, the, the prayer would not be spontaneous. I said, God is looking for spontaneous prayer. Did he tell you that uh, I want spontaneous prayer? They came to him, teach us to pray. He said, come, when you go to pray, say this. He said, take with you words. You know, they, God has said, look, listen, when you go, don't talk nonsense. So these are the things you will say when you get there. Yes. He gives instructions. Why do you think he wrote the book of Psalms? I have learned that. For your children, you can do it. You can write for each of the children. I've not done that one yet, even though I planned it for some time. If my, I know my wife will remind me now. She's hearing me say it. But generally for them, I have. You're starting a business. You're opening an office. If I show you... <laughs> so, and they keep getting longer. There was one that I wrote. My wife collected it. Then one day we were praying together. I said, you have yours. They say, I have it here. Then we'll get to the place. Ah, she will say something. Like, ah, I don't have that one. I said, oh, I added it. I said, bring that one. It's longer than this one. Who <laughs> added it? Sometimes... I'm not joking. Sometimes it's so long to read through it will take you 40 minutes. Especially with, when you read it, not just, you're not just reciting. You read, you amplify, you read it, you, 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 you meditate, you read. It can take 45 minutes. And if I keep adding to it, now one hour be that. Larry Lee used to talk about praying for one hour. It's not really as hard as it seems. Especially if you plan it ahead. When I lead prayer for my brethren, you know, my alumni fellowship brethren, <laughs> Maybe I, I will forward the one. I don't know whether my wife has offered it to Kingdom World Group. I will tell you what to say. We are going to pray for Nigeria. Say, and when I say say, I don't want it to alter what I have said. Go through that one first. Say to the Lord, I will put the scriptures. You read out the scriptures, then use these words. You know, we grew up in Pentecostal circles to have this impression that Kabola, Mama Boyaba, Bato, Suzuki, Suzuki, Honda, Honda, Honda. That is what God wants. It has its own place. When the Bible says they lifted their voice in one accord, they were, they were using the same words. I believe one person will lift up the voice and speak those words and the rest will be saying amen or repeating them. The Lord is good. Let me just drop that for you. Write prayer. Sit down. You write. You have a business. You put down a number of scriptures. What are the things I want to ask God for? It's time, it's time to pray. You want to pray about that. But of course, as things come up, you amplify this point. You amplify that point. Now, that just by the way. I just dropped something. That's not the main teaching. Back to the main teaching. So, along the line, something when I'm praying for myself, there's a particular point I get to there. And I'm talking about fulfilling my ministry because I pray about it. And I speak, the understanding I have, and I'll tell the Lord as much. For now, what I understand from experience is that I instruct people by teaching with the word of God. I'll begin my point. Therefore, I said, I will say to the Lord, I have found the scriptures. One, a line that fits me. You said, I will give you pastors after my heart who will feed you what? With knowledge and with understanding. So I pray for knowledge. I pray for understanding. I pray for insight. I ask the Lord, I want to see from above and not from beneath. I don't want to analyze situations like everybody else. I want things to happen. I look. I see something differently. 
That's why if you heard me teach about answers, I was seeing horsemen riding when people were seeing protests. And it's a, it's a prayer I pray. God, give me insight. I saw that Daniel, it was spoken concerning him. The angel came and said, I have come, O man of high esteem, to give you skill and understanding. Hey, I wrote that down. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to give me skill and understanding. The angel came, he said, Daniel, that's what I've come to do. To give you skill and understanding. So Daniel will look at events around and he will tell people, this will not happen, this will happen. This is why it will happen. Because in 300 years, God is setting the stage for something that will happen then. So right now, watch this king is leaving the throne the next six years. Why? Because in 300 years, they will look like, ah, Ogadani, what is going on? He said, just watch it. Six years exactly, that man is dethroned. <laughs> then they will believe what he said about 300 years. It's called skill and understanding. What am I trying to say? There is nothing. Look, Demo Sakarian said he read the book and he found the Ministry of Helps. And said, oh, this is where I fit. I hope you're getting my point. Aaron was there. Hall was there. They were lifting up the hands of Moses. He begins to understand things like that. This is why I'm referring to that kind of thing now. Because when you find your portion of the book, it should affect the way you reason, the way you think, the way you make choices. These things were recorded for our learning. Please let me drop this again. Don't let the world teach us things. That is one problem that the church has. The world is leading and we are following. They teach us what is important. How our lives should be. We sit in church. We say we are believers in Christ Jesus. Then we import unbelievers to come and teach us how to plan for retirement. And the man does not utter a word of faith. And everybody who is 50 and above is compelled to attend. For an unbeliever to tell them how to lay treasure on the earth. Where must dust destroy and things do break in. And still, the demand starts teaching you how to get insecticide against moth. How to protect your investment. So I go, you're looking at say, what kind of foolish children do I have in this place? Listen, if you're the pastor of a church, never gather people for anything that is not faith-based. There was a day, my wife went to a particular church, I wasn't there. And they were doing health, 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 you know, health things. You know, like health, health, you know, health talk, thank you. I was looking for health talk. And they got, you want to do health talk. Listen, you want to do health talk in a church. You don't need a doctor. You need a man that has a, a woman that has a healing anointing. Start from there. That's the leader of the team. This one, by the time they finished talking that day, fear, fear, fear gripped the whole congregation. Everybody left there feeling like, I don't die, I don't die. It was importance of checking your blood pressure. Checking your eye pressure, checking your teeth pressure, vaccine. I said, church, church, church. What am I doing there for goodness sake? But then, in fact, they said the one particular guy, when he was done, I wasn't there. When he was done, everybody became afraid. He told dramatic stories. He said there was a particular photographer. He did not know he was blind in one eye because I was looking normal. So he wanted to focus one day. 
He looked, he didn't see anything. He looked at the camera. He knocked the camera. He looked, he didn't see anything. Then he put it in the other eye. He saw clearly. That's the day he knew he was blind in one eye. So, check your eye pressure regularly. Listen, if I'm looking for business, I have a private clinic. I like that kind of church. After that, I will announce 50% discount to check eye pressure for all of you. As a fact, we shouldn't check our eye pressure. Listen to me. If you are going to church, listen, no matter the talk you want to give. Oh, July need to tell you, someone will not say, it's the one that annoys me is a lie, 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 they lie. Eat red meat, don't eat white meat. I'll be sorry. Eat white meat, don't eat red meat. I hope you know that it has no meaning. Forget, forget spiritual talk now. I'm talking to you as a doctor. It has no meaning. But if you like, if you buy red meat, you don't like pour milk on it. It become white meat. Eat it. Milk na meat. Nonsense talk. So you don't eat red meat. You eat white meat. He said, "What are you saying? Listen, you can come and argue with me after. I will show you things I know you don't know. What do you know? You don't know anything. Listen. <laughs> I went and did literature search on it to even see what scientific world is saying about it a few years ago. Next to nothing." Bundle of confusion. I was even with some people one day we were discussing. Actually, I, I preached in the church and I said that. I was just trying to say something that, ah, I went and soaked Gary, put a lot of sugar. Someone asked him that she don't say that. I said, why shouldn't I say it? That sugar is not good for her. I said, who said so? I hope you know that thing they tell you all the time is a fat lie. I've left my message now. I'm going to, down to the realm of the flesh, but, <laughs> but at least there I have some skill. Lie. You, they will be helping you to solve problems you don't have. One of the problems people have, all right, I'm talking medically speaking now, all right? So you can disagree with this if you, this is not scripture, so I give you the liberty to argue with me in your heart, even though you are going to just enter ditch. Me, I know what I'm saying, but can I disagree? A lot of things published outside is the problem of the Western world. They have so much sugar around them so they use everything to destroy themselves. I hope you're getting my point. You, you know, each bottle of Coke you need to drink. You know you have to pay for it. So, you, you know, inflation alone will let you reduce your sugar consumption. <laughs> An American doesn't worry about that. If he enters one of our um, fast food joints, he pays for the cup. He doesn't pay for the drink. If you like, let him fill that cup five times. They don't check it. At least, this one, I have first-hand experience in these things. If you go for a buffet in the U, in, in Nigeria, when you go for a buffet, even water is not free. You know that? You go to a buffet in the U.S., all the drinks, on, uh, unless it contains alcohol, is free. You fetch it like tap. You see there, Coke, Pepsi, Fanta, Dr. Pepper, they just line them up. If you like, drink 20 cups. So they overdrink, they overeat, they over everything. They not tell you the problem of sugar. I said, African man, now cube with a counter. Your mother will say, three cubes in that gari is too much, drop the rest. <laughs> because the sugar has to go around. You now see, you see some people, they go thin like this. A man who's weighing, uh, who's uh, 1.8 meters in height, he's weighing 51 kg. 
you know what that means? The guy just his bones and wrap of skin. He will now come and tell you, I don't eat sugar. I say, bros, no wonder you look like this. You don't eat sugar. What nonsense? Better eat sugar. Let's know so that breeze won't disappear you into the front of truck. Those that used to tell Nigerians, East Nigerians say, I don't eat egg. You know, now, she know they've dropped it now. As a few years ago, they stopped that rubbish lie about cholesterol. Somebody on Twitter said, ha, Pastor Banky has been saying this, and that's not a lie. I've been shouting that this thing is not true for over 20 years. And my logic and their own was different, even though we came to the same conclusion. My reason was that you are solving a problem you don't have. But a few years ago, they said 30 years of experimentation, experimentation with people's lives. They say cholesterol in your food means nothing. I laugh. When it, when it became a, an official medical you know, stand, that dietary cholesterol is of no consequence. I burst into laughter. I said, did I not shout to you poor Africans for more than 20 years? My reason was that if you're an African, you're wasting your time. You don't eat enough egg. You don't eat enough meat. You don't drink enough milk to worry about those things. I don't care how rich you are because your diet is not based on that. But finally, even for the people that had the animal food-based diets, they finally realized that it's not really like that. Like I said, I left my main message to give you things on the natural plane. Let's get back to the Anyway, I have more understanding than my teachers and my colleagues because the word of God is my meditation. Let's get back into the word of God. One day, somebody was there talking, said, don't eat sugar. I said, what? You know the funny thing? When the sugar thing, they now said, I saw videos on it too. That we found out that it's not cholesterol. It is sugar. I bust the laughter again. You have to blame something. Blame it on the rain, like they say. You have to blame. So when cholesterol has been charged to court, evidence placed before the, the judge, the judge said, not guilty. They say, who else was there at the NSAS protest? They say, sugar, arrest sugar. Now they arrest sugar, charge them to court for causing heart disease, stroke, obesity, this and that. Sugar too went on trial, and I told them they will soon find that sugar is not guilty. It didn't last a year. Publications, official publications are being released that this blame on sugar is not right. The thing that even a 10-year-old knows is now being taught to be the truth, which is what? Moderation in everything. Did you not know that before? It's in the Bible. Let your moderation be known to all men. It's, Listen, me, I chop sugar. I work my sugar the way I like. Before I eat it, I look at it. Sugar, you are a blessing to me. I receive you with thanksgiving. Sweeten my food. People do no, no, you see some foolish things. Say, I don't eat plant, uh, ripe plant, I only eat black one. I go look the person and say, Is your head working? <laughs> so the black one, when you finish digesting, you don't know if it turns to glucose. <laughs> I saw one man once, he used to teach in the same school where my mother, when we were doing, doing center for my mother, they said, Panda yam, he said, No, they chop on the yam because he has diabetes. Then he brought out bread. I almost fell down. <laughs> He collected the goosey soup, collected the meat, the whole thing. See, from the year, I said, no, he brought out the loaf of bread, say, he has diabetes. 
I almost fell backwards. I was a young doctor doing this. I felt like I said, bread. Bread. It is what only people run away from when they want to lose weight. Bread. And bread is known. Listen. Let's not get there. Bread. If you want to lose weight, please eat your pounded yam. You are safer. Because they pounded everything with it. So it has fiber. He has every... Bread is made for highly processed flour. The thing is fine like dust. Every bit you swallow is digested into your bloodstream. And the man brought out bread. I just said, okay, oh, you are not sickly. That's it. Just eat your food. Just <laughs> what I know is when poor people are choosing what to eat. Do you get my point? He said, I don't eat eggs. He said, okay, when last did you see egg? It makes me laugh. And I see them. Have you looked at the fellow? Says, I read meat. Says, I don't eat red meat. You look at the man. You look at his shirt. Look at his shoe. Look at everything. You know, he doesn't see red meat often. He says, it is white meat. I just look at this guy. Take your red meat. Paint it white and eat it. Stop. You know, those days when we were in school, there's some brethren who said they are living fasted life. You know what the fasted life? Kenny Higgins said to us, that, I hope I finish my message today. Gedeki <laughs> said to us that one day the Lord said to him, because he used to fast twice a week. The Lord now said to him that I'm not as pleased with this your twice a week fasting as I would be pleased if you are living a fasted life. He said, I never heard of it before. The Holy Spirit just told him. So he said, What is a fasted life, Lord? My servant, thou shalt not eat all what thy finds. I'm adding my own grammar to it now. So Kenegi now said he doesn't eat as much as he likes, just eats more, just eats more, just eats more. So he doesn't eat all the time. So you live a fasted life. So that essentially you fast all the time. So you don't take a day to fast. You're always fasting, 24 hours a day. So how do you fast? It's a Daniel kind of life. So you don't eat as much as you like to eat and all of that. So uh, all of us said so. It's good. Though. It's nice. So we like it. We all said so. There's only one problem. Brother Hagen, who was living a fasted life, my belt, two of his joints couldn't go around his waist. So we began to look closer. Then our brethren who were living faster like Now so the team for Niger. Like I said, they were solving problems they did not have. An American, one American portion of food, six Chinese people will eat it and faint. The first time I went to the U.S., I was alarmed. I went to a restaurant when they serve food. The plate no be plate, not tray. So a man with that background, the Lord had to tell him, live a fast life, otherwise you will walk and die. <laughs> Do you know, John G. Lake wrote a letter to, I think Charles Parham, or one of those senior men those days, and said, you eat too much. So, God, the way I hear you eat meat, eh? you will soon die and leave us. I'm not joking. No. He wrote a letter. They have so much abundance of food. God had to say, my children, my children, fasted life for you. The Africans overheard when God was talking to an American. And came home and said, fasted life. It now became suffering life. Hunger life. It wasn't fasting. 
Stop trying to solve a problem that you don't have. If I continue that one, I won't, I won't get back to my message. There are so many problems we try to solve we don't have. We have God has given us a beautiful family structure. Beautiful. Yet we want to invest like an American. Do you know? The way our own is, if your children take care of you, they don't, nobody will say thank you to them. I hope I get my point. Yes, yes, yes. Nobody calls me and says, ah, you send your mother money. God will bless you. Don't send it first. God will punish you. We have such a beautiful family structure. We don't ship our old people off to old people's homes. We evacuate our children from all the room and give them one room. Move them over to their, their homes. Yeah, we have, look, some of the things we copy. God gave us a structure so that we don't need them. Some of the retirement plans we have, God said, don't worry. Spend money on your children. Have more of them. They're not saying, no, have only one child. You want to have a woman's trouble. Because, listen, that one he has, once he leaves home, he has forgotten him. Our own, if you forget your father, forget your mother, your uncles will look for you. You know that? And they will not tell you they are coming. They just knock on your door. We just came from the village. Open the door. <laughs> your father is sick. You have not come to look after him. It's true. We'll be solving problems that we don't have. You have to deal with... Apostle, let's preach this good thing. Mary, the gospel we came today to preach. The Lord is good. So, if a church is organized a program, it is not the health specialist that should be in front. It is the word specialist. Is a word specialist. The person who will give you instructions in the word of God, create hope, expectation for you. Not scare you that you will soon die. A lot of the things they teach concerning diet lies. There's one diet, is it keto? Yes. The one that I know the most of all is one they call hallelujah diet. I, one of my sisters, I call it blasphemy. I said that your blasphemous diet. That's what I call it. I said, why do you call it blasphemous diet? Because you do the word hallelujah. You know what? It's called deception. You want to make us have the impression that God sanctions it. There's only one diet God sanctions. The one that is eating with thanksgiving. The Lord is good. Let me confess to you. How I got here. It should take me a while to find out. I'll just start preaching again. I always connect. God has been good to me in that one. I always connect back. Alright. So. God has specific words for each individual. Each Okay, I think we should open somewhere, right? Psalm what? 139. Thank you very much. Now, as you are reading the, the book, what I want to leave with you today is to start watching out for words that resonate with you. Um, David Paulson says that a way by which you know the plan of God for your life is to check, and I'm not saying that's the only way, but that's what he said. Is to check what vibrates you. He said, what he says vibrates. What he meant is this. I call it resonance. That sometimes somebody's ministering. Now, I'm not talking about somebody who blesses you. There's a difference. I'm talking about somebody who vibrates you, using the words of David Paulson. Okay, let me give this illustration. A man used to call me those days, early days in, on radio, when I went on Cosmo those days with a program called The Way of Success. Anytime, he said to me that anytime he listens to me, 
something in him says to him, this is what you are supposed to be doing. Anytime he listens, he just says, this is what I am supposed to be doing. And those days, strangers could call me and I will answer. All right? I don't know how he got my, my number. He called me and we used to talk you know, quite a bit. But what he kept on saying is that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. That anytime he hears me, that thing comes back to him. That's what David Possum calls something vibrating you. It just seems to connect. It's not just somebody blessing you. There are many people who bless me. I don't want to do what they do at all. I hope you're getting my point. I just admire what they do and they bless me. But it doesn't mean I want to do it. It doesn't vibrate me using the words of David Possum. Now, what I'm going to say is that, so there are times that you, re, you interact with people because it's the same calling you have, the same gift of God that's deep inside you. They tend to amplify God's gift in your life. Now, I'm drawing that one, one down to scriptures now. When you are reading the Bible also, I hope you're getting my point. There are people you read and something you will leap, all right, when you read about them. You suddenly can understand what they are saying in a different way. All of us may be reading the story of Joseph and interpretation of dreams. But what you are seeing is how the man was able to predict the direction of stock. <laughs> I hope you are getting my point. Those are the kind of things I'm talking about. Now, what I want to explain from there is that when you note things like that, be careful to note the things around the lives of such people. Let me give you an example. For example, anytime I read Jeremiah, one thing that strikes me is that God warned Jeremiah. If I send it to somebody, don't be afraid of them. If I tell you prophesy against them, prophesy against them. If you are afraid of them, then I will disgrace you. The same one he gives to those people. I think Ezekiel has a similar warning or something. Now, so anytime I hear, when I read things like that, I note it for my person. When I note, you know, like Elihu, he was teaching, he was teaching. Elihu said, hmm, I draw my knowledge from afar. I ascribe righteousness to my maker. He said, God forbid that I should flatter any man. Because if I do, my maker will soon take me away. So when I'm preaching, I don't flatter you. I won't say anything to make you happy. You know why? I want to live long. I want to live long. I take that from Elihu. I hope you're getting my point here. I read the scriptures. Paul said, I have not neglected to give you the whole counsel of God. So if you are instructing people, you have to teach them everything you know. You balance the truth. You speak this one, speak this one. You tell them this is the mercy of God. You tell them about the judgment of God. You must balance it. As much as you understand Please bear this in mind. Now, if you read your scriptures, you know, I said my children and I came to a conclusion. These are seven reasons we read the Bible. Now, I'm adding one to it as an, ampli- as an amplification of the fifth one. That you read it to know how to follow God's, to live a life according to God's prescription. In, that is in line with the calling he has for your life. You read the scriptures. For example, reading the Bible, you, you know, all of us you understand it. That following the will of God is not necessarily comfortable. Suffering like Moses. Moses suffered though. Don't think he did not. Even David, before he stepped into the throne, even after, 
his life was on edge all the time. He was a warrior. It wasn't like um, Solomon that the, what the first thing God did for Solomon was to destroy all rebellion. Removed Adonijah, removed Zeabiatha, removed Joab, Joab, strong head, Joab. Joab was his uncle, you know, his father's cousin. Removed this, removed that. After that, he rested. Not David. David was fighting all the time. The only time he refused to fight, he got into another fight. And that one, he lost it. Bathsheba conquered him. If he had gone to fight, the Bible had to tell us it was the season that kings go to war. He was supposed to be in battle. It's a season that kings go to war. Did Solomon ever go? So it's not kings, it's David. <laughs> David was supposed to be at war. Please, I hope you are getting my point. So when we are reading scriptures, what we are doing is taking instructions. We are living according to the book. And I was saying to us that everybody has something written about him. Written about her. The book is small. How can billions of us have something written? That is called the wisdom of God. Because when we read the book, the little one we all have, actually we see it, we peep into the bigger one that's behind that keyhole, that, that's behind that door. God gives us these scriptures, Genesis chapter 1, down to the end of Revelation. He gives out to each one, each verse is given to us. Sometimes one is amplified, then through it we see into a bigger realm. Now that bigger realm we are talking about is a massive collection of books. This one we have 66 books compiled from different authors written over hundreds of years. But inside that book, inside that store into which we are looking, there are billions and billions and billions and billions of books. And each one has a specific singular person's name written on it. Let's do that Psalm 139. And what I'm teaching is, we should ensure that we live according to those specific books. And you say, what if I can't find it to read? And that's what I'm, that's what I'm going to explain. You read the common book that we all have, and God will open your eyes to the portions of your own book at each particular point in time. He said in verse um, 13, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written. Now notice that. The days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. So God has a book for you. And inside the book, he wrote the days of your life. Even before there was one of them. That's what I want you to understand. And what he requires of each person is to re- live according to the book. He said, but how would I get to read the book? And that's what I was saying. He gives, it, gives us a common book that we are all supposed to read. In his wisdom, he has coded a lot of information into the common book. As you are reading the common book, Specific areas will be amplified for you through which you discover the unique book. That's what I'm trying to say when I'm saying that each person must live according to the book. You must understand that your life is not a game of chance. We say that all the time. But more importantly for today's teaching, for you to know that he actually planned each step. And he expects you to walk in the steps. Now, how do you know the way to walk in the steps? Actually, what he does is that he guides you into those steps. 
as you obey the simple common instructions he gives to everybody. That's number one. We read the common book, like we say, to have the instructions for right living. Now, as you are reading those instructions for right living, you start discovering, like, of course, that's what teaching is about, that each person has a different purpose. And so, vibrating, remember vibrating? You start vibrating with certain verses in the scripture. And once you find those verses, make sure you obey all the instructions around them. That's what I'm talking about. So, I gave myself as an example. Over years of reading, that's what I told you about the prayer. Inside that prayer, I always said, you know, John says something. And John is some person that taught us this. They came to John. Are you this? He said no. Are you that? He said no. Are you the Messiah? No. Okay, what do you tell us now? What do you give us to, what, what are you going to tell us that we'll take back to the people that sent us? What did John say? He said, I am what? The voice of one crying in the wilderness. And he was quoting Isaiah. I hope you're getting my point. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. We read that before from Isaiah chapter 40. So he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And literally the man was crying where? In the wilderness. So once he discovered that voice, he already knew the kind of things he should cry. So automatically he knew, what am I going to cry? Make the path level. Bring down the mountains. Elevate the valleys. And what, was, what does that mean in practical terms? Come, repent of your sins, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What is the kingdom of God? The glory of God will be revealed. And one prayer you must pray for yourself, beginning from this evening, is that, Lord, show me my portion in the book. Everybody has a portion in this common book. Everybody has a portion in this common book. We are taking those words from John. He said, if anyone will remove from the prophecies of this book, God will remove from his own portion in the book. You understand? Each person has a portion in the book. That's what I'm going to emphasize to us. So a prayer you pray for yourself is not just, bless me, bless me, bless me. It's, Lord, where is my portion in the book? And Paul taught us in Romans chapter 12. He said, we have gifts that differ. Oh, I don't say again. We have grace... I keep on, let's just read so that we won't misquote what uh, Brother Paul said. Romans chapter 12. He said, having then gifts. Which verse is that? I mean, verse, I mean, Romans chapter 12. Alright, so, so we have gifts. Since we have gifts, that's verse 6. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Notice that. We have gifts that differ. According to the grace given to us, each one is to exercise them accordingly. That is, now the version I'm reading is New American Standard. He said, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Your Bible may not have that, because mine put that long portion in italics. He said, if prophecy exercise your gift according to the proportion of your faith, if service you exercise your gift According to the proportion of your faith in serving, you do that in teaching, in exhortation, in giving, in leading, in showing mercy, and all of that. I kept on listing it. That you see that each person actually has a gift. There's a portion in divine assignments that each person has. I hope you're getting my point. And listen, we are serving a living God. 
What do I mean by that? It's not a dead scripture we are reading. We are, the, the spirit literally breathes upon the scriptures when we handle them. If you handle the word of God, the Holy Spirit will breathe upon the portion that speaks to you. You are getting my point. He will breathe upon the portion that speaks to you. There are portions that speak to everybody. They are common portions. In fact, most of them speak to everybody. But certain areas are suddenly amplified for each individual. The example I give here, you know, my best example here, you see, let me just give us an example. Go to verse, um, verse 7. He said, if in service, exercise your gift according to the proportion of your faith in serving. In teaching, you do the same. You now go down to verse um, 8. Or he who exhausts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality. Now, what does that tell you? Now, God loves a cheerful giver. Amen? Amen. Every Christian should be a giver. Amen? Amen? So it's a common instruction for everybody. But one day I read this and I realized what God was saying. There are some people who have a job. Their primary assignment is to give. Every Christian will give. But that's their primary assignment. Just like every Christian should be able to preach. True of us. But some people, their job is get up, do nothing else but preach and teach. Get up, organize crusades. Let 10,000 gather to hear you talk. Let 100,000 gather to hear you talk. One day I saw Rehan Bonke crusade. I didn't know we had that number of human beings in Nigeria. I don't know how many of you have watched it on TV. When I saw the sea of heads, the sea of heads, I started respecting all kinds of things. Whoever connected those speakers, forget the preacher first, the man will connect the wire that all those people were using to hear. That they I feared God. The people literally, I don't think they could have been less than a million. Now that just by an aside. There are people like that, they read the scriptures. When they say the multitudes follow Jesus, that's what they've seen. Once I went for a school of ministry, and the man of God was emphasizing, and the multitudes follow him, followed him. And in my life, in my mind, multitude, please don't follow me. I don't know whether you are getting my point. Nothing wrong with multitude, but he kept on emphasizing. And Jesus was the here, and the multitudes followed him. The multitude. And I was like, oh, God, relax. I mean, must this multitude follow everybody? The multitude follow Paul. No, that's what I mean, no? Different portions in the same book. He was the multitude followed. And in my mind, I'm thinking about it now. Multitude did not follow Paul. But go and check Paul's apostleship. It was an interesting one. He will go to a city. He will locate what the Bible calls the God-fearers. They don't know Jesus Christ, but many of them have started adopting the ways of the Jews, trying to learn about the God of Israel. So some of them met in synagogues. So there are two sets. You have the Jews... And you have the God-fearers. The Jews, usually, they will reject him after a while. Only a few of them will believe. Then he will go to those God-fearers. Then he will preach Christ to them. Occasionally, in public, he will minister the word. But see, generally, he tends to have this kind of 
teaching, his apostleship was primarily based on his teaching gift. So he would gather people and teach for sometimes up to two years. Moses was not following him. In fact, one man, I've been trying to get the book. I heard somebody refer to it. I've been trying to locate the name of the book. He said it's like a gold, well, like it's, it's a gold standard, but they said the book is one, one that theological schools they use for mission work. They teach it that. Paul, the man explained that Paul didn't used to go to rural areas. Some of you are like, what? Yes. yes, yes. Everywhere he went, he located this capital city. He sat down there and preached to the locals. Then they took the word and entered into the villages. And that was why he was able to carry the gospel as well. So he wasn't going from one little village to another little village. He comes to Enugu, Enugu State, as an example. He will sit in Enugu City. He will have a, whole, a, a hall somewhere where people gather and they may be meeting every day. And he will be pre- teaching like that every day. Teaching, praying for people, teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching. He can do that for a whole year. After a while, there will have been a large number of people coming there to listen to him. A church will develop around that. They will now say the church in Enugu. Then he will leave and leave Timothy behind. Then he say, where is Oga Paul? Now he say, he's now in Yola. Then he will sit in Yola for six months. I hope you're getting my point. Now, not only Enugu City will hear the word, people who came to hear the word, they will go to Oji River. Do you get my point? From there, they will go into, you know, they'll go to Ogu. They go to all different areas in Enugu. So the whole of the state will be full of the knowledge of God. But Paul did not leave the city. Not because he loved no, the last person that you would think loves luxury is Paul. He's the last person. The man loves shipwreck. <laughs> Are you getting my point? But he was effective that way. I'm not going to emphasize something to us. So you see, different portions of the book applying to different people. What am I living with us today? For all the reasons we say we read our Bible, I want to add one to your life. Read it to know the portion of the book that applies to you. And you start learning patterns by which God wants you to live your life. I hope you're getting my point. There are times you'll be reading. And you see, the man sold all he had and bought that land. All I'm seeing in it is the kingdom of God is worth selling for. What you are seeing is really land, physical land. <laughs> I don't know whether you are getting my point. You are seeing physical land. So, God has, he knows what he's doing. You read that scripture. He sold all he had. Then three days later, somebody comes to you and says, there's one new area. They take you there. You just love it. They say, how much is one plot? Say 500,000. And your mind... He sold all he had. So there's one plot you have in GRA, you sell it, you get 20 million. There's one you have, so you sell it. You sell all you have. And you buy a hundred plots in the new area. And people start telling you, why, what do you, you are wasting money. They don't know what you saw in scripture. Was the man sold all he had. And he bought that land. Ten years later, what you bought for half a million for one. They are begging you with 15 million for one. You say, I'm not selling. Can you see what I'm saying? You now say, how did God bless you so much? He says, in the Bible, the man saw a pearl of great price. we buried in a particular land. He sold all he had. I mean, of course, I look like, is he all right? 
All of us are looking at you like, are you okay? Is that not the kingdom of God is talking about? Then those who don't know, they will not get off. Church members will be selling all they have, be buying land, losing money on a daily basis. Losing money. Why? They are reading scriptures that don't apply like that to them. I hope you're getting my point here. That's the prayer you need to pray. That God show me my portion in the book. That's the message. Lord, show me my portion in the book. Like I said, through the common book, God starts leading us into the unique book. Did you hear what I said? Through the common book that we all have, it starts leading us individually into the unique book. Because that unique book, you hardly get to read it all at once like you have your Bible. It's just bit by bit, God will expose something to you. Your name is Abraham. He says, come. Then along the line, he moves to another level. Let this person go. Let the uh, Lord go. What leads you into the obedience to each detail in the, common, in the unique book is your adherence to the precepts of God under every circumstance. What God does is this. In every, that's, it, it, surround, it, it leads through circumstances. He does that. People say he doesn't. He does. He says he leads you by your spirit. Forget that thing. God leads through the circumstances around you. How does he do it? I'll tell you. He places circumstances around you through which if, now listen, listen to my point here, through which if you obey his precepts, you always, you always do what is right according to his plan. Let me say it again. God will place circumstances around you that if you obey his precepts, you will always do what is right and fit into the plan he has ordained. David said it like this. He said, thou hast ordained thine precepts. Let me not speak in James English. <laughs> he said, you have ordained your precepts so that we keep them diligently. I hope you're getting my point. He said, so I will not be ashamed when I, let me use the word exp- expression now, when I, cross, I come across your commandments. Let's read that. I love it. It's Psalm 119. One of my favorite portions of Psalm, of the book of Psalms. Please let me just explain this. We pray for a few minutes and then we go. Yes, I missed one line out. From verse 4. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them how? That we should keep them how? Please, I want to hear it again. That we should keep them how? He now said, oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes, then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. Now, this is the interpretation. You don't have the commandment yet, but you have the precepts. What is the commandment? Go to Oka. What is the commandment? Go to Abakliki. What is the commandment? Open a business. What is the commandment? Resign for civil service, from civil service. What is the commandment? Start a ministry. But you don't have that commandment. But you have what? Precepts. So it said you must obey the precepts how? Diligently. You will strive to ensure that every principle of God is obeyed by you. It said your way as a result will be established to keep his statutes. And then the day you discover the commandment, when the book is open for you, you will not be ashamed. You will find out that you have already kept it. Let me explain what I'm saying. With a Bible story. The God 
Now, listen, to, listen from the realm of the spirit, okay? The God speak that Joseph shall go to prison from the realm of the spirit. There's no catch to it. Did God speak to send Joseph to prison in the realm of the spirit? Huh? Yes, he did. All right, good. Did Joseph hear that? Did he hear it? Did God speak in the realm of the spirit that Joseph will be introduced to Pharaoh by the cupbearer? Did he say that? Did Joseph hear it? So, that's my illustration, commandment. But how did Joseph obey it? How did it happen to Joseph? Mrs. Potiphar came and said, this fine boy, I can make your life fine in this house. Do you get, you get the logic? But the precepts of God said, marriage is honorable in all. The bed must be undefiled. Homongers and adulterers, God will judge. Paul was quoting that for us later. So what did Joseph say? I have, I have the precepts of God. I must keep it how? Diligently. So when he kept the precept diligently, he ended up in prison. Those is my pastor will say, what is the will of God? He said, do the right thing. The consequence is the will of God. <laughs> did you hear that? What's the will of God? Do the right thing. Whatever comes is the will of God. Do the right thing. The consequences are the will of God. <laughs> I hope you're getting my point. That's how God leads us into the book. He gives us the common book and says, follow it diligently. So when I said he uses circumstances to lead us, that's what I mean. He will put circumstances around you knowing that two things, one or two things will happen. If you follow the precepts diligently, you will end up in his will. If you break the rules of God, you will end up outside his will. I hope you're getting my point. In every circumstance of your life, please study to show yourself what? Approved. According to the precepts that have been delivered to you. Don't say my spirit said. You see a young woman, a rich man, wants to marry her and she's going to ask, What's my spirit saying? He didn't ask, is he born again? Is he born again? He said, we met in church. That was not my question. Don't be stupid. I said, is he born again? He loves the Lord. What's wrong with you? I said, is he born again? He's getting closer to God. I guess, stop fooling me. It's morning that is pursuing you. God will not say anything to you. He has said enough. Don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. You get the concept of what? Precepts being followed what? Diligently. Does God lead through circumstances? The answer is yes. But I'm not saying that anything that comes across your way, uh, no, that, what I mean is that in every set of situations you find yourself in, or, or forces, how do you resolve those forces? Check for the precepts. Follow them diligently. You will find yourself in the will of God. When I had the opportunity to come to God didn't come to me, banking, banking. Arise, my son. Pack your bag and thy wife. Leave your Lagos. How did he say to Abraham again? Take your wife, leave your father's house. He didn't say, leave your Lagos house and go to a land that I shall show thee, east of the Niger. No, he didn't say anything like that. Many things just happen. 
the chaplain now of um, Parkland Church, Professor Eki, just came and said, Ah, thank you. Come to Enugu now. They need somebody like you there. And all of my friends came, said the same thing. Ah, like, ah, why is everybody talking Enugu around me? Now, what I want to talk about, divine precepts. Now, God said, Bank you see, you need to go. This is, it was clear, this door, I'm opening it. Now, I'm talking about precepts. Then the voices started. You know you are not an evil man. Can you see what I'm saying? And I had precepts. I had precepts. The man sat me down. After I had even reached here, he said, let me tell you, Nigeria is a dangerous country. You have to be amongst your people. But it was my senior. I didn't know how to ask him, who are my people, sir? Because he came to Jesus Christ and said, your people are calling you outside. <laughs> and he said, who are my people? He said, these ones that are hearing the word of God and obeying them, they are my people. I didn't answer him. I just smiled. Then he told me the story of the civil war. The man happens to be from my state. My state of amorightness and hittiteness. You know what that means? How his father hid some evil men in their upstairs in their house. And those who didn't come out for three years. That Nigeria is dangerous. So in my mind, your father hid them and they were safe. <laughs> I don't know that you are getting my point. You are telling me how Nigeria is dangerous. And you are showing me how God rescued people. I don't know. Can you see the contradiction? You just told me how your father, they were your father's tenants, and he made them look like they disappeared, and the people just stayed in your father's compound till the war was over, and they were safe. So who told you that God has not planted your father for me? In Enugu. If I ask all, all kinds of fathers, all, he, I had all kinds of counsel. That's where I'm going. But I kept on telling myself, Joseph was not an Egyptian. He surrounds the righteous with favor as with a shield. Thou hast ordained your precepts that we should keep them how? Diligently. All the doors in front of me, the, after the precept, precept being kept, the one that was open wide and God was confirming here and there was good to enable. Did I get the full page of the book to read? No. I kept the precept and I have no doubt in my mind. I arrived here according to divine commandment. Let us pray. The prayer is simple. Lord, show me my portion in the book. Show me my portion in the book. Show me my portion in the book. That's the prayer. Let's continue to pray that prayer. Say, Lord, show me my portion in the book. As I read, let my eyes be open. Let my, eyes, let my eyes be open. Let's pray that prayer. If we sincerely pray that prayer, he will. Say, Lord, as I read, let my eyes be open. Show me my portion in this book, this book of life. Show me my portion. Show me my portion. Pray that prayer. Pray that prayer for yourself. Yes, you've been reading. But like we've learned this evening, there is something written concerning us in that book. Something specific. So let us pray and say, Lord, show me my portion. That is my prayer this evening. Let my eyes be open. Let my eyes be open. There is something written about your business. There is something written about your marriage. There is a way that the Lord wants you to handle each of your children. 
ask that the Lord will show you your portion. Will show you your portion in that book. The book of life. Brother, let us pray. Lord, this is my prayer that my eyes be opened. That I see that that you have written consigning me. That specific thing that you have written consigning me. Show me my portion, Lord. Show me. Show my family our portion in that book. Through prophetic words, through teachings, through interaction with our brethren. Lord, show us our portion in that book. Let's pray for grace to follow the precepts of God, to obey the precepts of God diligently. Pray that prayer. Say, Lord, I receive grace. I receive grace no matter how difficult it is to obey the, your precepts. Everything. Diligently. Diligently. I receive grace. Father, we thank you for this word that you have brought to us again. Thank you, Lord, because our eyes will be open. Thank you, Lord, for everyone who has truly prayed that prayer because indeed you will show us our portion in the book and we will come to that place of destiny that you have prepared for us. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Praise the name of the Lord. Say, praise the name of Jesus. All right, let's share the grace in fellowship because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Surely we have passed out of death and we have passed into life. We have passed out of darkness into the light of Christ. We have passed out of under the curse into the blessing. All things have passed away in our lives. We are now filled with the Spirit of Christ. Believe about sin and walk about the devil because we are seated high above with Christ. This is a season of multiplication, dominion, and manifestation in the name of Jesus Christ. Just give that last two lines to...